Hi guys, welcome to the Art of Acquisitions podcast. Here we discuss how you can create cash flow and grow your wealth with acquisitions. We have a great guest lineup, including Craig. Craig bought two businesses with 10 million in sales, no money down. And Alan, Alan has led multiple deals ranging in value from 1 million to 9 billion. Yes, that was right, 1 million to 9 billion. Art of Acquisitions, simply the fastest strategy to create cash flow and grow your wealth. Hello and welcome to today's webinar, where of course today we're talking about the top five tips we have to protect your property investments in 2022. And of course, to take me through and help me through with that um, with that content today and with that topic today, I have I've invited none other than, of course, Dan Taylor. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you doing? It's always a pleasure to be here, buddy. And uh, Absolutely. the AirPods are working today. And there's no Absolutely. Can hear you crystal clear, beautiful, beautiful. So I suppose just before we kind of kick off, um, just a question really for you, Dan. For those people who don't know who Dan is, so Dan runs um, a, uh, a sort of a sort of boutique private equity house, if um, if I may, kind of helping people um, invest money in, in property, kind of helping them with with all of that. Um, then I suppose my kind of question is the sort of business called Taylor Capital, obviously. Uh, my question for you, Dan, I suppose, is kind of, I suppose, pre, pre-doing all of this, you had a pretty successful career in all sorts of stuff. And what, what kind of made you move across into, into doing what you're doing now? What's that kind of motivation behind all of this? Yeah, uh, well, it all started out with a few people asking to help on their projects, I suppose. And it kind of uh, went from there. And, uh, uh, you know, a number of people did some cool projects and we helped them through that whole thing. So then we created a club, uh, which is an evolution of that because I was working one-to-one, telling everybody the same thing over and over. And um, I thought it was beneficial because they're all working on different kind of deals. Um, and then after a while, a lot of a lot of people said, you know, We've got to be honest with ourselves now. We, we've got capital. We need to grow it because inflation's rotting away. But we just don't have the time to do this. Is there any way we can piggyback on some of your deals um, to create that uh, multiple diversified assets and income streams kind of thing? And so we thought long and hard about that because uh, it's not a two-minute thing to put a, a kind of closed doors club crowdfunding platform together. Um, but uh, we did it anyway. And um, <laughs> Which took a lot longer than we thought. It cost a lot more than we thought. I, I just like developing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we managed to get it done. And on the 5th of November, collectively, we closed this uh, transaction, which we'll show you a picture of it today. It was, uh, you know, it was 5.1 mil, um, of which the club collectively and compliantly, more importantly, um, you know, come together to, uh, you know, put some uh, money into the deal on a fixed return basis. And they get a kind of earn and learn aspect where they get a, a, a you know, 10% fixed on a yearly basis. But then more importantly, every month we do a deep dive into, you know, that kind of investor's mastermind, what happened, um, what's the 30-day sprint? What happened? What went wrong? How come the wheels fell off the car? How did we get them back on kind of thing? Uh, you know, it's kind of real life as opposed to sitting in a classroom kind of thing. Sure. Amazing. Brilliant. Well, let's jump into today's topic then. Let's jump into um, kind of what are these sort of top five tips we've got around protecting our assets um, in this sort of crazy world we find ourselves of 2022. So we'll jump over to you, Dan, if that's all right. 
Yeah, fantastic. Uh, what I'll do is I'll just uh, share my screen. We've got some slides to go over. And if there's, uh, I'd love questions because uh, I love thought-provoking questions where it catches me off guard. That's the kind of thought I want. So uh, I will do my best and we'll have, um, we've got Q&A at the end as well. So we'll have a live Q&A at the end. So people right. um, want to just check their microphones. Um, we'll get you up at the end to, to ask questions live to Dan um, and myself at the end. If, uh, yeah, yourself. if that's okay. Yeah, don't forget Paul's uh, a seasoned pro developer. Um, you know, he's he's, he's leading the, the tech space, which is awesome. And thank goodness he is, because you know this used to be seriously hard. Now it's he has collapsed time in terms of being able to get a result or get all the information you need just about on his tech platform, which is just about incredible. But never forget, he's from the feet on the ground, boots on the ground kind of uh, area where he did a ton of deals himself and has obviously a large. Um, you know, portfolio too, uh, in commercial property. So uh, let's jump and um, we shall share the uh, this. Dan, I've got, there's a comment from Barry just saying he's sort of struggling to hear you a little bit. So perhaps we'll get you kind of to talk as loudly as you can, maybe within reason. If we have any more problems like that, then uh, please do feel free, free to uh, pop in the chat for us. But um, yeah. just FYI, Dan. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, let me just try shooting over to the AirPods one more time. It's given me um, it's given me challenges today, um, but anyway, let's just jump in anyway. I'll try and talk louder. Um, and you know, I suppose to what are the top five picks that I have? To, I mean, there's many top picks uh, in, in order to protect your property investments, but um, we're restricted to five because of time. So let's just uh, jump in and see what they are. Uh, number one is diversification. We're going to jump into that in a second. Um, number two is uh, you know become a value investor. Uh, made famous by, I suppose, Warren Buffett, and always buy assets with latent value booked in or baked in, so you're making profit day one. And then for me, it's uh, kind of know your tenants and, you know, how do you get to know your tenants? What questions do you ask? What information do you need? And how do you go about finding that information? And how do we used to find information before tech came along? And how do you find it now? Completely different. Um, then you need to know your local market. And then uh, really all about protecting your assets. Once you've done that, um, you know, bought late value, you've then added value. Um, you've maybe elongated the leases, maybe you've uh, added some value upstairs with a commercial to residential conversion, whatever it may be. And we're going to show you a few other potential ways where you can really add significant value. Um, and after you've done that, you really need to then create what um, I suppose Warren Buffett calls moats or you know, asset protection devices, as, as it were, or alerts even to find out what's happening in the market. So let's jump right in. First one, diversification. Now, we all know Warren Buffett's first rule of investing is don't lose money. Um, and then the second rule is don't forget the first rule. Um, but he also has a 20 slot rule. And this is quite interesting. And he said if he could improve anybody's financial welfare, he would be doing it by the following, by giving them a ticket with 20 slots in it, 20 holes in it, which means you could only make 20 investments in your life. And he said that would be to simplify investing into that kind of approach um, where you're not all over the place, um, you know, th that would be his approach. And interestingly enough, Ray Dalio's got a very similar kind of thing. Ray Dalio, um, you know, like Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors has ever been, uh, came up with this principle called, a whole ton of principles actually, but one of them is called the Holy Grail. And it's all about diversification as, um, as Warren Buffett said with his 20, you know, just make 20 investments and just sit on them over time and they'll compound and you'll get wealthy just by doing that instead of trying to beat the market, go in and out of the market. So what did Ray Dalio say? Ray Dalio said, 
if you are, you know, imagine on the left-hand side, you've got returns. So 1% to 10%. And you really should be going for 10% returns these days. Uh, and why is that? Because um, inflation has just been released in America at 7%, and we're kind of on the same kind of uh, road. Um, it could be well north of that, um, as in real inflation, because they don't take everything into account. Um, but anyway, let's assume a 10%. What Ray Dalio is really seeing here, this is looks complicated, but it's so simple. What he's saying is try and achieve a 10% return and only invest, you know, create 15 to 20 bets or investments or assets, yeah? And having them as uncorrelated as possible means you're decreasing your risk massively. Therefore, your return on investment uh, increases dramatically as well. So what is uncorrelated? Uncorrelated could be you know, you're in real estate, maybe you want to be in uh, business, small business, maybe you want to be in large business. And we certainly help people do that. Um, but it's also diversification through um, diversification through the, um, you know, different asset classes and different geographies, different sectors, different tenant profiles. Yeah. So how we help people in Taylor Capital is we um, kind of bring deals to the table where help them really kind of stop the role of inflation and grow their capital through this kind of Ray Dalio Warren Buffett's diversification approach. And we help them invest in uh, real estate, principally commercial for us. Um, but there are some residential stuff for the adding value on the uppers. Uh, under PD and whatnot and full planning. Uh, we help them invest in small business and we'll go into that in a second. We've got a few exciting things coming up in that space. And, uh, and also in big business. What is big business? Big business are stocks. And how can you make a return of one to two to 3% a month on stocks in a very safe kind of way? And we bring in a professional who's been in that space um, for a very long period of time, work for the big boys, um, you know, Morgan Stanley uh, and all that kind of thing. Uh, I, I uh, teach or help people grow their capital in small business. What's a small business? For me, it's anything over half a million pounds profit that owns its own underlying commercial property and hopefully a bit of land as well. What's commercial real estate? Well, we'll show you a couple of case studies here. And really, Ray Dalio, you know, all comes down to that holy grail uh, formula comes down to if he says, if you have 15 uncorrelated bets or investments or assets that don't move in tandem yeah so they're not all residential right and they're not all in one area so they're diversified that reduces risk alone by 80 percent and therefore increases your risk return ratio by a factor of five now that's incredible when the, the chat that's seeing that is uh, personally worth about 16 billion um so it really should you know i try and look at uh, the kind of People have done great things and I try and model them. And then I think, okay, how can how does that apply to us, mere mortals? <laughs> and how do we take action? And we try and help people in the club be diversified, either through uh, the deals that we uh, bring to the table that we can collectively get involved in uh, to grow their capital, or we help them with their own deals as well, uh, with myself and our deal team. So um, I suppose the second principle for me is, Buying assets with latent value, you need to book in your profit day one. Uh, incredibly important, uh, as we all know, we should all know, but you know, trying to keep this top of mind, trying to keep this in your conscious mind um, to buy latent value is really, really important, like this one here. And buying sites with PD 
is one of the strategies that we uh, use. And we this is the one we completed on the 5th of November with our, uh, our collective, our club members. And um, it's got a GDV of 15, cost 5.1. And obviously there's, there's a hell of a lot of money to spend converting the uppers from commercial to residential. Yep. And it would depend how many units we get. Today, actually, in fact, last night at half past 11, we finally got the planning permission through under PD for 13 units. Um, which is all, are on the first three floors. The first, no, sorry, the, the, the second, the third floor, and half of the first floor. That's 13 units, 13 apartments. Um, interesting thing is that when we did the analysis on this, the, the pound per square foot was 510. It's now at, at about 565. So we've got that inherent inflation showing up everywhere right now. Um, but we have another larger application that gives us another additional one or two floors on top that takes the units to 20 to 25. Um, there's, so let me just um, give you an insight into PD. 56 days, you've got PD, but do you have PD in 56 days? This has nearly taken a year. We submitted this in, I think, uh, early March for the PD, and we just got it last night. Section 106, signed off, approved. Um, you know, so always allow a hell of a lot more time than you might think is possible. Never go by the 56 days. Yes, you're supposed to have it, but there's so many things you have to comply with as, as per the full planning application that you just want to bear that in mind. Development, nothing goes to plan, takes longer, costs more. You have to deal with this in your sensitivities. Yeah, But this one has quite a bit of margin in it. Uh, it's a great scheme, and it's really creating a lot of impact in the area. Um, and it's going to be there for the next 100 years. So you, you've got a real chance to create impact investing in your local area, the townscape, uh, for the inhabitants, you know, to create homes here for a very long you know, period of time, as well as creating profit for yourself. Um, the rent on this one, day one, I what we're receiving just now is uh, £410,000 a year. We've got two tenants on the ground floor. One's Poundland uh, and the other one's CEX. Poundland's paying two sixty. dollars uh, CEX paying one fifty. So that's 410 coming in, which is quite nice. Um, why? Because that's cash flow day one and that de-risks things. You know, I love buying things with cash flow day one because it de-risks everything for investors. And it's easy getting investors once, but if you want to keep them for life, then you have to be their fiduciary to try and de-risk projects in every step of the way. One of the uh, strategies we used here was the delayed completion. Uh, when we went unconditional on this uh, and we completed on the 11th of November, you know, kind of 11 months later, um, that was a delayed completion and it was a multiple delayed completion we had. It wasn't subject to planning, it was a delayed completion. And we went unconditional with half a million pound deposit way back in Jan. And, um, but it was a, a, a time period where we could add a lot of value. And indeed we got the value through recently. But um, residential is not the only component where you can add value. We'll come back to this in a second. Um, so other, other ways you can add, you know, buying assets with latent value or kind of principle number two, buy businesses with commercial real estate. Now, this is my, I mean, literally my favorite strategy, buying businesses, trading businesses that own their own underlying commercial property and hopefully a bit of land as well, but not always, but hopefully a bit of land and, um, and splitting the component parts up and uh, breaking them down and potentially, you know, keeping some and selling some. So this was a, a, an old temp in bowling alley. I mean, it's fantastic. It looks beautiful. This was a bar restaurant. Uh, it sold gourmet burger, res, 
gourmet burgers uh, that were absolutely off the charts awesome uh, and a big you know steiner kind of chilled glass beers it was, it was an absolute um tragedy when we had to demolish this because we put prelets in place so when i say buying assets with latent value what are we talking about here we're talking about buying businesses at a multiple of profits or a multiple of EBITDA. Uh, there's more than that, but let's just keep a high level, a multiple of EBITDA. Um, there's also cash free, debt free, you know, a debt service, the whole other things you have to model in, but let's just keep a high level. You can buy them at a multiple of EBITDA. On average in the UK, it's 2.6. Um, we pay three to five because we're looking for them to own their commercial property and also to own a bit of land. You pay a bit more for that. Yeah. And when we touch on later how that pans out and how we can pay three to five and still make money. But this had inherent value because, you know, what's the demand in there? Is the demand for a 10 bed bowling alley, it, you know, or is there, what's the other demand? And other demand alternative use is something that I kind of love uh, to, you know, to live in that space, buy businesses, alternative use. What is the maximum value we can achieve out of this? How can we squeeze the orange for? all its juice kind of thing. And, um, and this very simply, it was 13,000 square feet. So, you know, you multiply that for, you know, by basically we bought it for, let me bring the numbers up. We bought it for one and a quarter. So on a back of a napkin, back of a fag packet, if we can get 20 pound a foot, you know, on 13,000 square foot, we're at 260,000 pounds of rent. If we get decent tenants in there, you know, that's in the region of four and a half to, to five mil. If we get one man bands in there, then it's in a kind of range of three million pounds of value. Yeah. So therefore, um, yes, on the back of a fag packet, that analysis looks like yes, there's some room for maneuver here. Now, additionally, on top of that, what happens if we don't get twenty pound a foot? What happens if we only get eleven pound a foot? What happens if we get the anchor in? The anchor being your big tenant that you usually give incentives to, and say they're in at you know ten pound a foot. And the rest are in between 15 and 20 pound foot. Does that still work? So all these kind of things uh, meant that this property had huge latent value built in if we could achieve number one, the alternative planning consent, and number two, secure the tenants on these long-term leases. But along the way, you know, the thing was making a couple hundred thousand profit. So it was cash flow day one. While we took our time, we had tremendous patience on this one because we never marketed it. I just wanted to secure very specific tenants, as you see down here at the bottom, on very long-term leases that were kind of 15 to 35 years. And the GDV seemingly is 4.9. I think that's a bit racy, to be honest, quite a bit racy because the rental's 220. So I would see the, the value probably 4 million on this one. But we have got a rich valuation at 4.9. Um, we also have a risk valuation at three and a half. <laughs> who, knows what, <laughs> who knows what the value is? The, the key thing is the only value that's true is, um, is what two people agree on if you ever sell it. But this is a kind of hold for us because it's very lowly geared and it's, it's kicking in uh, you know, quite a bit of cash flow. And, and to be honest, you know, we really don't need any more than this, but you know, I love the game that we're in and uh, yeah, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And you know, we keep... Uh, quite a bit of assets for income, but we also uh, do plays for capital plays. So you should always have a kind of income bucket working in your life and a capital bucket working in your life. Um, that's my game plan anyway. And then a legacy bucket, which is a whole different story altogether. So buying, um, still on latent value here, buying businesses with CRE, you see this is another one. It's quite a, it's my, 
uh, it's my go-to strategy kind of thing. Um, I love it. And, uh, you know, you really got to think about local demand. This one here is about, I think it's 13,000 square feet. Um, it's this old, ugly building here. I don't know if you can see the mouse. Paul, you see the little mouse? Yeah, 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 yeah. See that, yeah. So this is it here, ugly as sin. I like them ugly. Um, and I like them chunky. And uh, we've also got the land next door, which we'll come on to in a second, because that's quite interesting. That's about, you know, knowing what's going on in the local area. But you look down here, this is the Students' Union, and this is the, the UWSs, that's the university there. That's their own purpose-built HMOs. And they've got about 310 units in there. And the front entrance of the university is just kind of here. You know, so yes, it was a business in decline, as it was, um, it opened in 1986, this, and it, it had a roaring trade over a number of decades, uh, but it then started going into decline from 2007. So this was a, a, a trading business that we bought the train business, and included in that, we bought all the fiction fittings inside, all the movable equipment, and also the property. So sometimes you can buy businesses um, at a multiple of EBITDA, and you get all the assets. And then it's up to you, what is the local demand? What can you do in the local area? And this is what this one's gonna be, which I'm gonna be really proud of. Um, it's, it's quite chunky. It's gonna take a while to get through. We've got a pre-app approved. We're about to submit a full planning application. Um, we've got a, you know, the key thing with these kind of schemes um, is getting all the stakeholders involved. And uh, we've really gone at, you know, to great lengths to do that, to be honest. Um, and this is going to have a GDB of, you know, so what is it? Sorry, I haven't even told you what it is. It's a, it's a PBSA, which is purpose-built student accommodation. And there's going to be 150 student studios. Um, so when you're buying, you know, properties and you're looking at, you know, this ugly thing on the left, you know, nobody touched it. It was on a business broker's website for over two years and nobody touched it. But they just couldn't see this thing here, this thing down here, and over the road. And as soon as I went to see it, I, I, it just hit me like it's on the bricks. And um, I, I never seen this at the time, but I knew I would fix it and do something with it. Um, you know, so this is going to be another one for a portfolio where we retain uh, for income because of the location. The location cannot be beaten. You know, it's right next door to everything. Um, and if we build it like this, which we're going to do, um, we want to do something that Paisley can be proud of. This is where it is, Paisley in Scotland. And um, it's going to be a great development. And, and really, this was highlighted in the Paisley Vision Report. So we're dovetailing in with the local regeneration plan that's, that's both local and central government as well. Um, they highlighted this because it's a highly visible area. This is the main arterial road into this part of town. And they're spending £60 million pounds on the uh, gallery that's literally 100 yards away, right opposite it. So this is going to kind of complement that 60 million pounds gallery very, very well. And it's really been received um, phenomenally well. So um, I suppose the next uh, point for me is, um, you know, knowing your tenant, you have to know your tenant. You know, the scheme that we showed you before um, that we completed on the 5th of November, and it had three stories upstairs, hopefully one or two new stories. And on the ground, it's got two tenants. One is Poundland, one is CX. And knowing your tenants couldn't be more important um, than this one. Uh, Weatherspoons weren't in this scheme, but Weatherspoons is another one about knowing your tenants. Um, and, you know, you know that when we did the deal with Weatherspoons, uh, in fact, I'll tell you that in a couple of slides time, because that really dovetails in with 
how we did this before technology came about and how we did it after. Um, but let me just tell you about these tenants. Um, we have uh, spoke to these tenants before we bought, you know, before we purchased. We were in uh, negotiations with Poundland and CX and, and really where we come from, um, and not geographically, but from a kind of strategy process, is um, we come from a point of view of serving and you know of humility and and really speaking to we target the, the kind of operations team you know the retail operations team the store manager the area manager uh, and that kind of thing why do we target them instead of going straight to the commercial real estate team who do the deals you know the store guys don't do the deals because we want to speak to the guys on the ground and find out what are all the challenges here what's a pain in the arse what's great and what does great look like for you guys because if we can fix that for them then it'll be a lot easier dealing with the commercial real estate team we still have to comply with all the obviously the commerciality and the financials of the scheme but as if we can really nail fix the problems on the ground and they both had problems these companies Poundland and cx in the specific site they love the site they want to stay there which is obviously a massive tick um but they had issues so we asked them, what does great look like? And we started modeling that up on a set of plans by the architect. Uh, and these chaps here, for example, Poundland, they didn't want to own the first floor. Remember I said the, the 13 flats had PD for floors two and three and half of the first floor? It's because Poundland has half the floor in the first floor and they use it as a warehouse, but, but they don't actually use it because it's, it's a nightmare to get stuff up and down. So they said it would be fantastic if we could relinquish the first floor, give it back to you. And if you could build as a kind of a box out the back of about a thousand square foot or something, you know, so we wouldn't have got that from the commercial real estate deal doing team. We could only get that from the guys on the ground. Yeah. So that was kind of a big, big, um, insight and this is the kind of things you have to do you can really got to know your tenants and in terms of cex what does great look like for them well firstly poundland they've got five years unexpired so they're in for another five years obviously if we take back the first floor flats uh, first floor uh what do we get we get another five apartments up there at 560 pound a foot thank you very much but obviously we get a reduction in rent as a pro rata yeah so um you've got to think do i want the income for the next five years or is the capital again big enough to you know outweigh the kind of income for the next five years because obviously you're going to take a income reduction a rent reduction there if they're relinquishing three thousand square feet upstairs yep cx's story now this only became about because we got to know the retail operations team um their story was you know they've been around the whole market in guildford they want to stay where they are which is great why was that great because their lease expires on the 19th of july which is pretty imminent um, so they have decided they want to stay here. They want a new 10-year lease, more likely with a break at five, which is fine. Um, but, you know, after speaking to the retail guys, this, we asked them, you know, are there any challenges in this site? And they came up with one that said, we'd love to have um, kind of area at the back for the team, you know, to have lunch, have meetings, have a little staff room, uh, office, whatever, uh, just a small one. But um, what we have right now is really, really cramped. It'd be great if you could do that for us at the back. So, we now know what the issues are and we've modeled that on a set of plans. We've delivered it back to them. We're kind of heads of terms with CEX, uh, literally a couple of months after we uh, completed on the deal. And in terms of Poundland, that's going to take longer. Um, but the other great thing about you know speaking to people before you buy 
is Pangolin shared with us their operations team, their commercial deal doing team would never share this information. So the operations team are not as commercially um, nuanced or aware as, <laughs> as the commercial deal doing team. So one thing they shared with us, oh, we're about to close down in October to strip the whole thing out and do a reefer because this is one of our diamond stores. And I said, what's a diamond store? He says, oh, that's the top kind of 5% performing stores. I thought, well, that's quite interesting. Mm. Where's the rent going? <laughs> going that way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. and, and as you know, Paul, the commercial deal doing team would never, ever disclose that kind of information. So um, know your tenants and know which department you're dealing with and who you want to find out you know, about what the problems are and how you can deliver fantastic. What does fantastic look like? Right, right guys. It's quite, um, we had a similar sort of thing, actually, in, a, um, in one of the... Sort of convenience stores that we've got and and you can walk into the convenience store suddenly from the landlords and you can say you know how you're getting on and kind of what's what's the plan this sort of stuff and they'll just tell you what the trading figures are and in fact if you go into the sort of the often in the the back of the back of the shop in the kind of the um sort of the breakout area there's usually kind of a big whiteboard that's got the target numbers on the, on the thing is this meant this much per week i've got to try and achieve and this sort of stuff and so it can be a very quick way of finding out just how well they're doing compared to um compared to others. So it's a really simple thing to do, actually. It is, it is. It's, uh, and it's simple to do and, you know, a lot easier not to do, but it's, it's incredible the gold you get things. And, um, Absolutely. And for, for me, it's the foundation of uh, commercial property, you know, really getting to know your tenants and get to know, you know, what they're doing in the market, what other deals are doing, you know, what comps are doing in demographically similar times, uh, the terms they're taking, what's their recent terms, how do you get these kind of comps? How do you get a copy of the leases? Pangolin is just like sold, for example, at one at 5.85% yield um, with a five-year lease expiring, you know, expire, you know, five-year lease, 5.85 cap. That's absolutely insanely beautiful. Um, knowing this kind of thing uh, really gives you, you know, insider information almost and pulling leases for Poundland that have just been either re-signed or re-geared. Uh, and local kind of similar demographic is really, really important. It gives you everything you ever need kind of thing. Uh, it gives you what they're signing right now, what they're happy to sign, what passes the board and what conditions need to be in there to pass the board. Yeah. Um, and this one kind of pans out at, uh, you'll see here. Now, this is knowing your tenants. Uh, so Pinewood is currently at two, 260K rent, CX 150, 410 total. That's you know, worth about 5.3 just now. Why? Because CX has got a very short-term lease. Remember, they expire in July. But if this, you know, we get the new 10-year lease with CX, even with a five-year break, yeah, and normalize or re-gear the rent in Poundland, yeah, and we've got a total rent probably coming out of 360, that's where I pinned it, then that'll still be worth 5.6. Isn't that interesting? You know, uh, a kind of 50,000 pound dip in rent and you can increase the value in commercial property. And that's all about yields, caps, not for today, but it's just take that on board as that's quite interesting. So that's knowing your tenants. These are kind of tenants, some of the tenants we've worked with. Um, and the beauty, the beauty of that is it's worth 5.6 and you've got some of the building back. So they're giving you 300 grand back in terms of capital value and you're getting some of the building back, isn't it? Which is the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never, thanks for uh, highlighting that point, actually, Paul, I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, uh, and there's obviously quite a lot of value add upstairs. So on, when we bought this, it was 5.1, which we allocated, I think, um, I think it was the way it's split for the, the bank valuations, 1.75 upstairs 
and 3.25, 3.35 downstairs. So as soon as we get the new leases in, 3.25 to 5.6, just by what does great look like being, you know, being of service first, trying to meet their greatness, uh, you know, the, what great looks like. And, you know, that's quite a chunky increase um, where, you know, just imagine upstairs, all the hassle that goes on with making 20 to 25 apartments um, and you get the same kind of money. So, you know, for me, it's uh, having both sides of the coin like this, or at least more than one play is really, really critically important. Um, and what you've really got to get your head around caps, yields and all that kind of thing. And, and the one beauty about this cash flow day one, you know, day one is cash flow. Uh, today we've got 153,000 in from Poundland uh, because they built up some rears with uh, the previous landlord Aviva, and um, and we get the rest of the rears very very soon. CX are up to date, so you know these are great tenants to have, despite obviously the the situation that's gone on in the last two years. Uh, these are some of the guys we've worked with um, in the past and currently right now. Uh, in fact, just on the phone, that's why I was a bit late, Paul, with Domino's, couldn't get off the phone. Um, but great guy is, and, and this really, this is how you increase the values. You can decrease rent um, and increase values. And all you're doing is this, you know, you're taking your elongating leases. That's it in a nutshell. There's a little bit more to it than that, obviously, but in a nutshell, that's all you're trying to do. Elongate the lease to secure that income for a very longer term, makes it more appetizing for investor, therefore increases the value. Yeah. Um, so the next point, the next principle is kind of know your local market. And for me, you know, obviously, you know, buying businesses with a commercial real estate is, you know, my go-to kind of strategy. If I, you know, if the numbers stack, um, you know, shops and uppers sometimes, you know, in the, in the, in the great areas like Guildford are, are kind of getting quite racy, delayed exchanges are getting quite challenging. And um, we've really been focusing on this um, since December, to be honest. And we've got four deals we're working on right now that look pretty good, to be honest. Um, and the numbers are quite staggering. We might go over that one day, but um, this one here, let's just touch on this in terms of knowing your local market, because you know this was on the market for, as I mentioned, I don't know if you remember, over two years on a business selling website, um, national one as well. And nobody touched it, nobody looked at it because nobody came in with a new pair of glasses and forgot what's there, which is a loss making business and thought, what could be there? What is the demand in this place? Paisley is not a great place. Um, it's just about to go through a massive regeneration. But for the last 10 years, you know, a shopping center and leisure shopping center of 150 million of value have opened up each side of Paisley and killed it with all the car parking and cinemas and restaurants and all that kind of cool stuff where everybody wants to go. And kind of Paisley's been forgotten. So the start of this new regeneration plan um, but for me, I just seen the university and I thought, my goodness, this is obviously student accommodation. What, why, is it not, why is it not that already? I don't understand it. Um, but who am I to judge? I, I just kind of came in, made a friend with the owner, got to know him. And, you know, we did a, a deal on this one. But only after I kind of got to know the local market, what doesn't work is retail here. Um, you know, that doesn't work at all. Even residential, unless you're 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 buying for yield, you're not buying for capital growth here. Yeah, um, you know, but student accommodation really really works there. But when you look deeper into the student accommodation, there's almost an oversupply of HMOs. You know, houses of multiple occupancies. Yeah, they're all um, like this one down here is 310. 
the university also owns the whole tenement blocks, every tenement block surrounding university, all old school, old stock HMOs um, that are freezing in the winter, obviously. So my game plan was obviously try and bring a new product to the market that appealed to not only the locals, but the Chinese market, the, you know, the, the European market that have perhaps higher expectations and maybe try and replicate the BTR, the build to rent model uh, that have wonderful community spaces in this area to really elevate the whole thing and future proof it kind of thing. So we look at you know, the demand alternative use and assess, really, really important to assess the alternative use and the values you're going to get from that, either on a capital play or an income play. Yeah, what, it really depends what you're trying to achieve here. And obviously, from a tax strategy viewpoint, you would use potentially different vehicles for a capital play as opposed to an income play, um, depending on you know, where you are in your own journey. Um, so as I said, you need to really understand the value of each alternative use and then not only the value, but what's the longevity, yeah? Because if you're in like residential here, you know, there's a ton of people in residential. So unless you're very specific and going for a niche kind of thing, then are you going to differentiate yourself? Yeah, which is really, and obviously capital player and income play is really critical as well. If I wanted to sell this new bill that's coming here, I would put it in one kind of um, uh, SPV tax wrapper. If I'm going for an income play, I put it in a completely different one. Yeah. So these are all all issues that you have to think about when assessing. Uh, you know, because it's going to it's going to become this. It's going to the GDV is 50 mil. There's new build student studios that have sold for more than 100 100 thousand a piece. Um, if this was an HMO, for example, we have to understand what's the numbers for an HMO. Well, an HMO would be discounted by 25 percent. Yeah. So that's quite interesting as well uh, to know that uh, and find that out. So knowing the local market is really, really incredibly important. Uh, and then I suppose we come on to kind of protecting your asset. How, you know, imagine you bought your asset, you've done the development, whatever that may be. Maybe it's the Guilford one, shops and uppers, and you're converting the uppers into resi. You might be refinancing a holding, or you might be selling off to create a capital event to pay down the debt downstairs. Or you might be re-gearing the leases downstairs to sell them off individually to pay the debt down upstairs um, and keep the residential, whatever your bag is. Um, so for me, um, protecting the asset is, is predominantly about, you know, number one, location, location, location. You know, I always look, you know, if I buy that asset for the next kind of 50 years, can someone leapfrog me? And obviously they always can, but is it likely? Yeah, if I do what I'm going to do with it. And I always think about that first. I think about a 50 year game plan. Uh, is it going to be a hold or are we just going to flip it? Yeah. And then along that journey, you're, you might change your mind from a long-term income play to a short-term flip based on what comes up in the marketplace. Because obviously things evolve and other developers come in and they may leapfrog you in terms of their offering as opposed to the location, which uh, obviously affects your income and occupancy, which affects your value. Yeah. And you might get to the scary point of potentially getting close to triggering um, banking covenants, which is a scary thing to talk about. <laughs> but so planning applications, you have to be aware of them all the time. You know, what planning applications are being submitted in your local area that could potentially affect your asset. Yeah. I remember back to Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett is, a, you know, only do 20 investments, Ray Dalio, 15 to 20 uncorrelated investments. If this is one of your 15, you've got to protect it like your own child. Yeah, so you really have to be aware of the planning applications. 
Now, be, um, you know, be, before the technology, this was really hard to do. Um, and now we also need to look at neighboring properties. You know, are you doing a land assembly like that Paisley uh, purpose built student accommodation? Is it, you know, could a land assembly be possible to create a bigger scheme? Because our scheme that got passed for the pre-app on that one was 70 studios. Um, now we've acquired the land, uh, we're putting an additional, well, pre-app's already in for 150. Now that takes from 7 million to 150 million. Uh, so 15 million, so 7 million to 15 million GDV, which is huge. But um, also between that additional uh, units, what we're sharing all the communal space and that kind of thing. So we're really creating a lot more efficiencies. And on the bigger scheme, there's another top tip um, about protecting your asset before you start building as soon as possible, bring in a QS along the design journey at the beginning. Because when we did our first design, uh, we got the QS to estimate. Uh, we got a GDV of 12 million at the time. We could only fit 120 units in, in this scheme. Uh, but our cost was 11.7 million. <laughs> so we had to value engineer very, very quickly. Um, a completely different scheme, increase the number of units somehow and decrease the cost somehow, which we managed to do. Um, and that's a value engineering exercise. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a number of different evolutions of the plan kind of thing. And uh, what ifs. Um, other potential uses as well. And, um, you know, what other potential uses could have been on this site? For this site, for me, uh, you know, potentially a car park, but, you know, it doesn't really do it for me, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I love the PBSA model. I love the BTR model. And I, I love the buying business model kind of thing. So that's more where I lean towards. So I'm always looking for those kind of strategies first, if they fit the, the location uh, and the site kind of thing. But you have to be aware of other potential uses. You know, what are other people doing around you? Like a, a new strategy, like years ago, uh, you know, short-term tenancies or, or uh, short-term holy lights or service accommodation kind of came about, or uh, it was always been about for a long time, actually, but it really kind of got, um, you know, everyone got excited about it. So when you things start to happen, you have to be aware of that and you have to hopefully get this kind of information coming towards you, which back in the day, uh, and back in the days not too long ago was a very hard thing to do. And also neighbors for sale, like the land. How did we know the land was for sale? Well, it wasn't for sale. Um, so we approached the, the landowner and uh, managed to crack a deal and uh, now brought that into the, the, the land assembly. And now we've got a bigger scheme, which is almost like, you know, think about that little bit of land that we bought extra there has doubled the size of the scheme. Now that's like doing two different deals. You've got two deals for the kind of price of one. I remember the original price for buying that business, including the property, including the fiction fittings uh, and the movables was 120,000 pounds. Now, everybody in here right now could afford 120,000 pounds. Everybody in here right now could have bought that property because it was on the open market for over two years. The problem is you're not getting lease site automated coming towards you. You're not getting neighbors for sale information coming towards you, other potential uses coming towards you, neighboring properties, planning applications, notifications coming towards you on an automated basis. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could get that? Absolutely. But let me show you this. This is one we're kind of working on right now. So this is back at another business. So the business is in here and it, the, the line is all the way around here. Yeah. And when, when I look at something, number one, big tick is a business. Uh, big tech is doing the kind of minimum EBITDA that we need. Big tech, it owns its commercial real estate. Big tech, it owns some land as well. You know, but what can you do with the land? And back in the day, trying to 
actually you know find out what you can put here without the technology that you've got access to today um, would be cumbersome and timely and you know but very quickly in literally five minutes we uh took a picture of this box here and i'll show you what that is in a minute in fact let me just bring it up now that's what's sitting there a great a starbucks drive-through a greg's and a subway and we've got we measured it on nimbus maps really really quickly this whole thing took five minutes we took a screenshot, we took a screenshot, and we took the measurements, and we superimposed that on there. So that tells me, because we're on a very busy roadside, uh, we, what do we have here? We've got a bit of land that's underdeveloped, and it's roadside. So Starbucks would probably love that. Um, and this all this sizing includes the car parking, circulation space, the whole nine yards. And it's very, very easy to accommodate that on here. So we've got a potential massive upside here, and this box, for example, industrial, I've always wanted to get into industrial. And I thought, why not? You know, industrial is hot just now. It's hard to buy. It's hard to make financial sense unless you're sitting on a pile of cash, unless you're buying businesses that owns the industrial. Yeah. So what would we be doing here? Number one, we'd be doing a sale and lease back on the property to potentially ourselves with our, our group of uh, you know guys in the club, the investor club, um, which is quite nice. Uh, we're buying a business keep the chap on to run the business and he's got a, a kind of earn out there. Uh, and, you know, why would you buy a business? Because you, you kind of, not this one, this is not three times. This is quite a serious business, a global business. Um, but this is kind of like five times EBITDA this business. Yeah. And, you know, think about it simplistically. If you're buying business at five times even, which is quite high, and you're getting the real estate with it, and then you simply take off the real estate and lease it back, then that's at least a 10 cap on a bad day, on a really bad day at the office, which means the rent you're ascribing to that is worth 10 times. So if you're ascribing, say, 300,000 pounds, that's worth 3 million pounds, but you bought it at five times, including in the purchase price of the business. Yeah? So literally, you paid five times, you've doubled the value. If you're buying a bit wiser at three, you know, three times, um, you potentially could triple the value of just the rent element I'm talking about now. Yeah. Um, obviously, that would decrease the trading profit in the business. But look what we've got here as well. We've got a capital play or a further income play. But for me, this is more like a capital play where we, we you know, uh, we get the planning consents and we sell off pre-lets, sell the whole thing off pre-let, let someone else deal with it. And we pay off the debt, either the property or the business. And that's how kind of this works. Now, it doesn't have to be retail. This is obviously retail, but it's all the rage just now. Every, you know, Starbucks, Costa, they want to be everywhere on the roadside. But it could also be another industrial unit. Why retail? Well, this rents at £6 a foot just now, or the market analysis states that, and that market analysis you kind of got like that in under five minutes because of technology. Back in the day, that would be a whole different thing. Um, you know, it's so under five minutes, I knew the market and I knew the forecast for the analysis of the pound per square foot. This will be in 2026. And the market analysis in this kind of um, sub market is going to be eight pound 15, 2026. So it's six pound to eight pound 50 baked in. Yeah. Which is a 40% increase for our investors, which is pretty nice. Um, meanwhile, we do this play over here, which could be the retail thing here. Why retail? because this stuff goes at 20 pound a foot, which is pretty good. Um, it could be industrial as well, another six pound a foot going to 850, or it could be trade counters, that kind of thing, going at you know, 10 pound a foot. Um, so you kind of have to know your numbers, have to know 
who would want to be here, what kind of demand, and you know, assessing the demand pretty quickly. You've got a retail um, offering up here, you've got a retail park over here, and back in the day, that would take a long time to ask agents, your agent, to phone the local agent, okay, what are they paying there? Where now it's kind of most of this stuff's online at the touch of your fingertips. It's pretty incredible. We're living in incredible times, guys. Um, and so, uh, you know, how would we do this before technology? Um, I suppose is a great question. And I look at this little case study. So this was a, a property that was on the market in 2012, I think it was, um, maybe before that, or that roughly then I put a bid in. So, you know, back in the day, I would speak to the agents on a, uh, you know, number one, you've got to make a relationship with the agent. Number two, you've got to be seen as a deal doer. Number three, you've got to get continued deals uh, coming out to you. So he pinged me this, we made the offer, went to closing dates, unfortunately. So that's on the market where my business buying is usually off market, direct to vendor. Yeah, different thing altogether. But this was on market. It went to closing. My bid, unfortunately, wasn't enough. Uh, the chap that uh, bought it, uh, held it for kind of two years or something, um, maybe three years. Uh, and it was kind of late 2015, I, I phoned him up. Um, well, how did I phone him up? Didn't know who it was. Uh, I did this. I basically went to the, the planning department, found out the plans that have been submitted, uh, who the head architect was, uh, and then I did a search for the architects and I found out who the architects was. Now, see, today, you can do all that in two minutes. <laughs> when I did this, Nimbus wasn't about, uh, and you know you couldn't do that, which, you know, just that short and the, the collapsing of time to get the information you need, make a decision to go forward is incredible these days. So, we then found the, the architect and uh, the architect didn't want to give me his number. So I said, well, give him my number. Eventually he phoned, uh, he's in Belize at the time, you know, South America, miles away. Um, and, and I said, well, what, what have you got with an old ugly duckling on the west coast of Scotland, uh, you know, if you're in London and Belize? And he said, no, it's just something that came up and I've got friends up there. One's an architect, one's a QS, one's a something else, structural engineer. And he said, they'll come up with a scheme. Now, they've managed to burn through over £40,000 coming up with a scheme of which none of them were commercially viable. And, and, he, he, and I said, well, wouldn't it be lovely just to escape from this? And I'll give you your money for your fees, and I'll give you money you paid for the property, and I'll give you it in two weeks. And he said, absolutely, I'm in. And uh, we did a deal two weeks later. I bought this for cash. And, um, you know, but at the time, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do here. I just knew the area, knew the location, knew I could do something. Yeah, and I knew I would find something to do here. But, you know, number one, there was no rates on the building. The power had been pulled, the gas had been pulled. So there was no cost on it. And, you know, it was bought for cash. So there was no debt on it. So I'm, I, I'm in a really relaxed kind of, you know, ability to have a lot of patience to find the right kind of proposition for this one. And that's what we did. But all that kind of stuff went on. Before you had technology, it took forever to do anything. Just to find the architect, I had to go to the planning department, uh, phone them up, ask who submitted them. They then, a week later, sent me the details, um, and the details come out. I phoned the chap, he's not in, uh, chased him down. You know, all this kind of stuff took forever, where today we're all very, very fortunate that we have the kind of technology that we do, that we can get all this information at a moment's notice. This is what it is today. And um, what's actually past this, this is when the trailer, uh, Harris fencing was still up. Um, but what we have here is 12 affordable apartments. 
and two commercial units on the ground floor. And we're dealing with a national just now to go in there. We were in Lidl's with a national uh, to go in there, co-op funeral care. I'm so glad they never went ahead with it. Um, it wasn't really my, I, I can't imagine anybody wanting to be cited next to co-op funeral care. Um, but they were in Lidl's. Another, another company was in Lidl's as well. Um, and they fell out. So we're dealing with this company that I wanted from the start and they've been in, they've been out, but now they're seriously back. I've just got to fix one problem and they'll be in here. And when they get in here, they'll be in for life. Uh, they will be lifers. So they want one of the, the left-hand unit, which is great. And there's delivery car parking at the rear. And, um, you know, and to do this kind of thing um, without technology today does take a hell of a long time. And, you know, that's what I had to go through to get this kind of deal done. Um, you know, whereas today you can kind of just jump on Nimbus. Well, let, let me, let's jump over to Paul and perhaps he could tell us exactly um, what you do today with the benefit of technology. Well, so I, suppose, I suppose what I wanted to kind of quickly do was to um, just try to sort of talk this through a little bit. So, so Dan's talked a little bit about... Um, these kind of few key themes we've been talking about. So knowing your tenants, kind of what they'll pay, what terms they'll take, what they're doing, kind of with a, a wrapper over that of he's understood what that tenant really wants. And, and of course, never really has that ever been more relevant than today with COVID and retail and people managing their, um, so the retailers now having different um, needs for business for, for their business space compared to what they did before COVID. With COVID hitting the sort of the management of the online channel, as well as the sort of planning a shop full of stuff and, um, and trying to sell it, all of that's kind of changed so much. So if you can understand what that, what that tenant really, really wants, and you can align that, and the background, you can understand exactly what terms they'll take, what rents they'll pay off the back of that. You can really align everything um, together. Dan, how did you do that historically? How do you find out what a tenant will pay if you've sort of if you can't see what's in their estate? How did you do that historically? Well, let me tell you a real life story about Witherspoons. Uh, how we found out how how much they would pay. I mean, when we approached Witherspoons, uh, I to be honest, um, I thirteen thousand square foot. I chunked it down. I thought I, I want to get two hundred fifty thousand rent from this box, and so Witherspoons has got to be in for hundred k. Um, I negotiated with them. Uh, they weren't coming to 100k and I thought right okay I should have done this first but let's now be smart and do some DD and it's only at that point I then demographically what time was I in demographically population uh, demographics of that population I then went to uh, other de demographically similar because this was a seaside town so when other similar seaside towns in Scotland that had the very same kind of population and I, I basically went and pulled the leases yeah, so it's Scottish Land Registry um, up here, Land Registers, and we pulled the leases. And on the leases for each of the three properties that were very similar, we found very quickly 6,300 square foot, 6,700 square foot. I thought, fair enough, that's a square foot. That they're all, and one was 6,500 square feet, um, and one was kind of 68,000 pound rent, 54, 76. Um, so very, very quickly, I painted a different picture of my expectations, which I suppose is a bad poor reflection on me, but I'm always a student first. <laughs> and very quickly, I found out what their aspirations were in Scotland, because previously I've been looking on the south coast of England and the kind of west coast 
of England. Um, and so, you know, when I did some more sensible research on local seas uh, seaside uh, demographic towns, I found exact comps and comparables, not just the square foot, not just the rent, not just the breaks, uh, the rent review provisions, which are seriously important when you're coming to a negotiation, knowing what they've agreed to before, what can you get past their board? So I had to do all of that and speak to agents as well uh, to see if there are any more recent ones compared to the three I pulled. Yeah, now that all takes a lot of time um, and it's quite a manual process, to be honest. Um, you know, it, it does, it, it takes ages, to be honest. And, you know, now obviously things are a hell of a lot quicker. Um, yeah, this was, we did a sort of similar thing. I'm being very impressed by a, a lawyer that we were doing a deal with Costa and I'm being very, very impressed with the lawyer because we got a set of heads terms through from Costa and we were trying to work out where we could push them and where we couldn't push them. And there was stuff in there we didn't like and stuff we did like. Um, and we we're trying to work out how do we sort of how can we kind of push them in the right areas. Of course, having no idea, having done a deal with Costa at the time, we had no idea where we could push. We just tried pushing where we where we felt it was kind of um in, where we thought it was kind of important to us. And and kind of then you got this kind of this pushback in certain areas. Like, well, can I push any harder? Or can I, do I need to do I need to back down on that? I don't want to lose this tenant. So, um, so it's kind of quite a difficult thing to um, to get right, frankly. Yeah, we, we managed to find we managed to find a lawyer that had just done a deal with them, and therefore they sent us through the, a copy of the lease that had been signed. Um, so we kind of see whether we whether that particular sort of client had managed to kind of uh, the landlord and managed to, to to remove some of those clauses but that was the extent of, of where we got to with it. it was no no further we could get with that apart from this was only event we want is we've seen over here you've got some stuff taken out and we'll we'll kind of go with that so that was purely the extent of it yeah and if it's roadside you've got to take into account you know is the lease that they've just signed what's the road count on that how many you know car count is going past that and then how many is on your site because even though it looks identical it could be completely different you know um, yeah absolutely so, focus. so then I suppose the next bit then is kind of knowing the local market and the local values for that. So what are the values across all those various uses? Um, and I suppose the other bit is kind of who's doing what in that area as well. Kind of one thing you talked about is knowing what that local marketplace is, being able to see what um, what's happening. I suppose I'm a, a, a big fan of and a sort of big believer of the fact that I'm very rarely the first person into a marketplace to do something. And so if I look carefully enough, I will often find what that local local trend is of, of conversions of buildings or um, these particular buildings are always being built out for care or for retirement or for um, student or, or whatever that might be. And so I guess in a, in a world, in a sort of, in the old world, day, um, Dan, how, how would you, I guess it's kind of speaking to as many agents as you can and seeing what they think, is it? Yeah, no, knowing the local market, I mean, it's, the key things, like, you know, you can go on some platforms, tech platforms, and you, you're dealing with lag information. Um, but if you want to get the lead information, um, you, you know, agents are the key. Why? Because agents are doing the live deals and agents are sitting on deals that haven't yet been signed, but they've been agreed. Yeah. And that could be a, a number of months process. And then a little while before they're actually in the, you know, registered kind of thing. So you've got access to it and they need to be a certain length of lease before they even need to be <laughs> registered. So um, it's really all down to local agents and back to that, you know, really, you know, knowing, knowing the agent, creating that relationship and, uh, you know, boots on the ground, to be honest. For me, boots on the ground, the agents has been absolutely, you know, empirical and kind of getting to, understand what people will do uh, what they won't do and um, and find alternative use um you know right now you can find alternative use pretty quickly in terms of 
who's uh, you know who's submitting planning applications nearby. Uh, and obviously, a tool we use is Nimbus Maps because it's right then and there, uh, which is awesome. You still have to search for it, uh, but wouldn't it be great if, if all that searching was done for you kind of thing? <laughs> would be pretty cool. The other thing for me was also that um, I, I never had an agent tell me they couldn't sell me a build, sell a building for me, but I didn't always know whether they were the right person or not, and whether they actually had the local knowledge that I needed in order to get the right price out of the building. So I ended up going to sort of several because I was never quite sure what what was it they got on the market and were they actually active in that marketplace because they always said they could sell it and regardless if I went if you went to a state agent sell commercial building they would still say yes they could do it and it was kind of always that sort of challenging well what are they actually active in that marketplace do they actually really understand that marketplace or not yeah absolutely we've come across a number of agents and wants to sell this that and the other uh, the key thing for me is um, look at the website what kind of stock are they selling. You know, it's what you're trying to sell. Does that match with what their bread and butter is? You know, if they're in the industrial, you've got a shops and uppers, probably you've got the wrong person. Yeah. Um, if you're in the, uh, you know, if, if you're in Guildford, like that property we showed you with the shops and uppers, then you really want a national agent. Why? Because they've got international reach. Yeah. Because that's a very sought after area for somebody overseas wanting to buy the whole thing kind of thing. So um, you really got to pick your agents and, and really, um, Pick them for what they're great at, you know, because they're not great at, they're not masters of everything. They usually go into niches where they're fantastic or geographies where they're fantastic or dealing with certain tenants that they're fantastic uh, in dealing with that. Uh, and you really got to find that out because they'll just say, yes, absolutely. Bring it on. Give <laughs> we'll take it on. Instruction. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah. So it's like, it's like difficult, isn't it, really? So I suppose the final thing was then just sort of making sure around your ass. So, you know, if you're buying these things and, and holding them, then you kind of want to protect them going forward, don't you? So it's, it's making sure that nothing's happening around that site that might um, might affect you, whether that's kind of applications for sort of big schemes coming forward next door, or um, if there's a, a big application for a big student block near the site in, in Paisley, well, Dan wants to know about that before it starts on site, <laughs> before when I try and sell my investment, um, that they, they start on site. And so I think all of that can be quite useful. So, um, I suppose, Dan, how do you how do you do that in a in a world pre-technology, I guess, is kind of a question. Yeah, pre-technology, um, I would always um, ask my architect to forward on any planning applications that's been submitted that he's aware of. And so how would he then find that out? You know, mm. unless he's logging into the planning portal, um, he's not going to find that information out. Uh, but what he's mostly doing is he's hanging around with the, the, the other architects, colleagues, and they're sharing information over a beer or whatever. So you're kind of getting secondhand information uh, a very time-lapse time as well, um, where now obviously you can get that really, really quickly. Um, but still recently uh, in Paisley, there was a planning application submitted for 160 HMOs, um, rooms basically, um, you know, it got passed and it's, it's like literally four or 500 yards away from where we are, which is, um, I mean, we always planned on doing student studios they kind of raise the game, you know, our offerings more like a uh, boutique student hotel kind of thing. Um, it's really, uh, but not much different in price, but a hell of a lot of different offers. There's bicycle, and I won't go into that, but you know, how did that, how did I find out about the application? And for some reason I wasn't on the alerts. So the architect I was using said, look, there's the application gone in, um, you know, and it's, you know, I said, can you send me a, a set of plans? Now, if the architect had been on holiday, you know, and hadn't got the information. Or if the architect had been hanging around with these architect friends, 
and sharing the information openly as they do to help each other, then I wouldn't have got that information. Um, whereas now, you know, there's certain technology like Nimbus where you potentially can create alerts and find out, you know, if you've got an asset, you want to make sure you have alerts coming from everything around there in terms of what planning application is going to know. Well, you know, and, and in that planning application, is that alternative use? If they come up with a new idea um, that could be better than yours, could be more valuable or create more cash flow kind of thing, or because of what they're proposing, are you better exiting now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite, quite, absolutely, absolutely. While the, while the market is hot for what you've got rather than it with a competing scheme around. So I suppose what I wanted to do just very quickly was to um, just briefly touch on this with um with nimbus so one of the things i was doing just while you were while you were talking down was running a sort of a poundland search just to sort of say well yeah, how do we get to know our 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 customer if you like our tenant and so in my head there's sort of it's twofold one is the is the going into the into the unit itself talking to the um the, the store manager and understanding how they're trading and and asking those specific questions and saying what is it is it going well is it going badly how's your targets all that kind of stuff and see how, how they're kind of getting on with that the second thing then is, is using this um this company search effect where i can kind of search by by company name across um across the uk for for properties owned by poundland actually and in fact they're they're parent companies so what it's showing me here is um, is these sort of green spots or leases that are registered with a land registry, um, and we'll see kind of a, a little freehold property down here to a little kind of um, red F in effect, which is a, it's a freehold property. So what I can do is I can go off and I can browse around and I can sort of see where these um, where these various um, uh, units are that, that Poundland are trading from in effect. The really useful thing then is we have this little kind of um, export function here where I can I can download all this into Excel as well. And, and, and the reason that's useful is that what I can see from this is the most recent leases that, that Poundland have taken in effect. In fact, it's, it's Poundland and indeed their, um, well, their, their group companies, 99p stores as well. So what I can see is that the sort of there's the leases that have been of being granted. So the most recent lease that um, the Poundland have taken is actually in, was in June of last year. And in fact, what I can do is that I can go and see, well, that was in Dagenham. And I can click on the link on the right to go and see the lease and, and download a full copy of that. So from there, what I have a very, what's very clear for me is what the terms of that lease were. So will they give me a 15-year unbroken lease? Will they, will they drop that five-year break that, that they're insisting on? Or will they give me a parent company guarantee from a stronger covenant, which gives me a much better yield off the back of the, um, the, the onward sale of that? So, so that's kind of useful. Um, I think what will be quite nice is for me to be to be told when Poundland take one of those leases, when there's a new lease that comes out for a particular company that I'm negotiating with or having the portfolio of rent review coming up, that I think will be kind of quite useful just to, um, to understand. We'll see whether you, you all think the same thing too. I suppose the next thing to do is, is perhaps assume we're looking at a place like, I don't know, Reading or something, where they've got, they've got two units in, um, in Reading. And I suppose what's is kind of interesting for me, if I'm, if I'm sort of holding this particular property here or something, is then being able to understand, well, have there been any particular planning applications nearby? So, so what are those planning applications and what are those applications for? And this is, well, this is unscripted at the moment, so I'm sort of just digging around and seeing what I, what I find in effect. But there's a reserve matters application here for, um, 
a 12-story, new 12-story building actually, plus basements and 415 um, built-to-rent residential units. So actually, what's bringing forward here is, so what I've done there is I've clicked the sort of the biggest spot nearby, and actually it's a, a red and a blue spot, which means it's a mixture of residential and commercial. That's kind of our, our colour coding here at Nimbus. The size of the spot tells me the size of the application. Actually, what I found is there's a 12-story building going in over the road, which means that actually perhaps if I was holding this particular building, then maybe I could be thinking about going a bit higher, perhaps doing some kind of airspace development above it and thinking kind of bigger than perhaps I would usually be thinking. I wouldn't necessarily immediately think 12 stories when I was looking at a sort of a, a kind of a quasi high street kind of location that would, would feel like it was too much for me. But clearly there it is um, something happening. And of course, the same true down here. We've got a change of use of, of the first floor offices to a, to, to a C3 flat. So, so that B1 or B1 now class C obviously to, to C3. So just starting to understand what's been happening nearby. If I've got an office space above that, that pound line, what I really want to do is to understand that, that little local marketplace around and, and what others are doing with their buildings. And actually ideally knowing what they're paying for, perhaps some of those schemes if things are cha changing hands as well. I suppose as I'm on that journey with, um, with that local market, what I would also want to understand is kind of two things really. Number one is what other buildings are on the market? So where do we see... Um, sort of commercial properties that are being um, sold or let, and therefore kind of who are the active um, agents across there. And of course, what other commercial buildings have been sold nearby as well. So as I'm looking at those pri that pricing and also who the locally active um, uh, investors and, sorry, the locally active um, agents are, understanding who do I go and speak to about that local marketplace? And also what are the prices of the, of the buildings that have been sold nearby? So I can kind of build that picture around what the other uses are that I should be thinking about. Now I've got a locally active um, uh, surveyor that's selling and letting stuff in that particular area. And suddenly that I've kind of pieced that, that marketplace together kind of quickly. I suppose the, the question I have um, for today is just to understand a little bit about um, what our audience today thinks about this. So I want to just launch a little quick, a quick poll, if I could, which firstly asks you um, whether you hold property. So firstly, we want to understand, do you hold many commercial properties, residential properties, or indeed both, or indeed don't hold any property at all? Do you feel that the approach we're talking about today is helpful and is going to help you protect your assets? Um, understanding who those local those local um, agents are and what the um, what the sales prices are for the various different assets that sort of sit alongside um, alongside yours, and of course, then how important is that to you as a as an investor or a developer or um, an owner of property? I'll just give that a moment just to run, just to give everybody a chance just to fill. There's rather a few questions on there, so just give you a chance just to um, um, to fill that out for us. Fabulous. Thank you very much indeed. And then that's sort of a, a second question then just around the um, around the alerting element of this. So would you be interested for your particular portfolio or indeed for your, your pipeline of opportunities here at Nimbus? Perhaps you've you've got a um, your workflow set up with a number of opportunities in it. Would you be interested in a tool that would monitor that for you? So would you be interested in, in being alerted to all of this stuff so you could understand which particular properties were coming on the market, who the active agents were, whether there were particular planning applications nearby that might affect the value of what you've got and what you could be um, considering. So if, you'd, if you think that'd be interesting, that first question is for you. The second question then is that we're considering this as a, as a tool here at Nimbus. If you'd be interested in, in joining a very small advisory group here at Nimbus to work with us to make sure we get this, this interface right, 
And then that second question is for you. And you have a choice of yes, um, you can commit to it now, or you can say, well, maybe we'll kind of have a chat and let's see whether see what's kind of involved in this before I kind of uh, nail my colours to the mask. That is equally um, fine too. And of course, you can also say no as well. That's absolutely fine as well. So we'll just give that a moment. And just while we kind of leave that open, what I would like to do is to um, to see if we have any any questions. So what I would like you to do, if sort of once you've finished and, and sort of answered the questions for us, if you could. Um, open up your Zoom control panel. What you'll see is a little button in there that, that says raise hand. If you could click the raise hand button, what that will do is that will tell us you've got a, a question for us. And we'll then just invite you up to, um, to ask that question. And we'll we'll do our best to, um, to answer that for you. Um, there were a couple of questions. There were a couple of people put their hands up a second, but they seem to put their hand back down again now. So um, if that's the case, I think we're doing just fine, actually. So... Um, I'll give you all a moment. Is there anything in the chat, um, uh, Dan, that we want to um, to pick up? Yeah, there was one uh, question there. Um, I kind of answered it uh, about a recording that's going to be sent out. And Jason Butler is asking, how do you navigate or approach properties in conservation areas uh, or that are grade two listed? Um, my kind of two pence for that is always bring on remember I was talking about before when you're designing something, bringing on a QS really, really early on. So you're not spending a, many, many hours with the architect um, going in the wrong direction. Um, it's the same with this kind of thing. When you're dealing with very specific kind of areas like conservation, uh, flood risks and uh, grade two, you, you want to be bringing on a, a planning uh, specialist, town planning specialist really early on to get feedback. Just to get, and this is sometimes we do this in the live deal clinics where we bring on a head town planner, architect, deal analyzer uh, and, and myself and we we start off with it we all start off with a head town planner what parameters do we have here you know and then the architect sketches something out but really i suppose that the two pence is you know bring someone in create a relationship with them and you'll be able to get this information you know really really quickly off them hopefully for free um sometimes if you want an in-depth one you can get it for 500 pounds and then you know that's if you're serious you've done all your other analysis yes you like it you want to move forward but you want to make sure um, that you understand the complexities, the parameters of what you can and cannot do in this kind of area, like a conservation and that kind of thing. So uh, we use somebody called uh, David, uh, David Kemp from DRK Planning. Uh, he's absolutely awesome. He's been tremendous recently in securing this Section 106, full planning, 1136 last night. He is awesome. <laughs> right, but so NASA's asked a question, which is, how do I find land with planning permission ready for sale? Well, that's quite simple, actually. Um, that's just a very quick demonstration of that for you. So this is the Elite platform. Um, the top right corner is the location analysis tool. It's a new thing that we launched recently. Um, you can click on this little button here. It gives you this thing called the planning export. Um, and what you can do with that is you can go off and say, search a, um, a local authority website for particular types of, um, of opportunity. I'll assume for the sake of this, you're looking for residential opportunities and you can just click export and, and very quickly what the system will do, will go off, it'll pull a list of all of those for you, put them into, um, into Excel. Within that Excel, there's kind of a few things that are perhaps interesting. Number one is um, at the top here, you'll see sort of the, the application on the left, which is the, the application for those, um, for those sort of residential units, depending on the numbers that you're looking for. It gives you the address of all of that, and it links to the type to give you who the owner's details are too. So very quickly, I can mail merge to as your investment's limited to go and see if they want to go and sell um, sell that property. This particular bit of functionality does some other stuff as well, which is kind of useful around um, comps, finding out who the right architects are, who the active local developers are, in addition to just finding stuff with a planning ticket. But um, but hopefully that's 
giving you a very quick answer to that. There's a there'll be a, a link in a moment where I can send you through to go and get a um, a trial and a sort of a, a demonstration system in a bit more detail than that. But just to kind of give you a flavour for that, that's that's the answer to that. Um, Ali has a, a question, I believe. So let's just see if we can ask um, Ali to unmute. I think Hello. Ali. Um, yeah, just a quick question about Article Four um, areas. Is there a, like a layer map, maybe in Nimbus that can highlight those, or maybe through the export to Excel that they can be excluded? Not at the moment. Um, albeit, I've just come out of a meeting where our data team is building one. So watch this space, and very soon it will be in. So, um, so no, not yet, but soon. I think what Paul's just shown you as well, that extract um, for whoever asked that conservation area, you know, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, like a, a town planning specialist and you want to give them a, a lot of information to, to keep his response uh, really succinct, then exporting that kind of thing, what planning permissions have been approved in the local area, which you see how fast Paul got that, export that email to him, and it means, you know, it tells him you're serious which is a great way to build. If you haven't got a relationship with somebody, you know, it means that they know what you're doing kind of thing, or at least you're halfway there. Um, really yeah, totally. Of... I think that's always the, the kind of trick for me, actually, is that um, if you send a letter to a an owner of a property and you reference the property they own, they just bought, then they will usually pick the phone up to you and just sort of have a chat to you and say, what was your, what was your interest about it? And so you, you can usually get some quite good response rates off the back of that just by... You know, either if, you, if it's a business, you can Google them and you can very quickly find a phone number, ring them and ask them about a, a particular property. If you can if you can quote that that property name and the planning application they've just submitted, then usually you'll get through the gatekeeper through to the person that submitted that application. And, and usually it's um, a pretty easy route through to them, frankly. That's certainly my experience of that. Um, having done that sort of a few times elsewhere, it um, usually works quite well. So, so I think we've got all the... Questions sorted out. Um, the one thing we haven't done yet, Dan, is um, just if anybody would like to um, to see Nimbus in action, I'm conscious that NASA did, then what we'll do, so this is the um, the usual kind of route through here with us. So if you scan that code there, what you'll be able to do is book a call with our team who will then be able to um, give you a demonstration of the system, show you how to use the sort of the various bits that you're kind of interested in, whether that's finding sites with planning, with planning permissions and this kind of stuff. They'll be able to kind of take you through all of that. There's a little link there. If anybody's interested in that, then feel free to scan that um, and we'll get you booked in. And then, Dan, I suppose if people have got kind of questions themselves um, and want some of your help, then um, how, how can you help? Yeah, well, if, um, if you're sitting there and uh, you have, you're sitting on capital, you want to grow that capital, it's currently you know, eroding by inflation, then uh, scanning this and you'll be taken to a kind of nine, 12 minute video, I can't remember exactly how long it is explaining the effects of inflation on your capital over a period of time. Uh, and then if you start to grow that capital, um, the kind of benefits you'll receive. And then there's a link if you if you want to have a chat with us after that, there's a calendar link after the video pops up. Uh, if you want to have a chat with us about helping you, because we help um, investors grow their capital either you know, actively working on their own deals, we help them do that, or we help them if they want to do it passively, say they're professional, a business owner with uh, no time, but they still need to grow their capital. They can obviously jump in, pay you back on our some of our deals. Uh, and we've got quite a few coming up this year, which is quite exciting. Our first deal on 5th of November was an earn and learn. So you kind of get a two-year mastermind month, every month, which is pretty awesome. 
uh, deep dives into what's happened, what the sprint, 30-day sprint was, what's happened, what went wrong, how we fixed it, uh, how we're speaking to tenants uh, in more detail, showing the plans of that we actually showed the tenants, all these kind of things. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great experience. Plus, you obviously get a return on your capital if you're a passive investor. If you want help doing your own deals, that's what we do as well. We just love to help people. We do deals and we help other people do deals as well. We're about to uh, launch this year our, our equity. We've been developing our PropTech platform so we can help people not only, one of, one of the big requests after we did the first one on 5th November, that was an earn, learn, fixed return. Uh, they all want part of the game, <laughs> part of the equity, which is fair enough. And um, our plan is to hopefully do our first one in Q2, which will be a business acquisition that owns a commercial property and hopefully a bit of land as well. We're working on four right now, all under NDAs, and we're in the middle of the, the depths of uh, financial analysis, which is fun and games. <laughs> Fabulous. Awesome. So um, I think we've covered all the questions. Um, I've done that in slightly wrong order, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just roll with it. It's fine. Um, so really all that's left for me to do today is to firstly thank you, Dan, for a great presentation. Thanks for your input today. It's been great having you. Well, thanks very much, Paul. It's always a pleasure to be here. And uh, I love seeing where Nimbus is going. It's evolved incredibly since I first met you. And uh, no doubt it won't stop here, as, as I'd imagine. And uh, every, every year just gets better and better. So uh, great platform. Thanks very much. Thanks for saving me a hell of a lot of time. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Dan. See you soon. And then just finally, um, thank you to you all for watching. Um, we've had lots of fun today. Hopefully you have too. I've been Paul Davis. We've been Nimbus Maps. We'll look forward to seeing you again soon. All the best. Bye for now.